Hello, it's Paul Scott here, Small Caps commentator um, and writer of The Investor and writer of the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia. I'm re-recording this. It's Sunday the 3rd of March 2024. This is part two. Part one crashed, unfortunately, when I was round at my mum's, where I've been living for the last two weeks, on my... uh, voice recorder app that uh, malfunctioned so I went back home to my own flat on the other side of Bournemouth and uh, recorded part two on my desktop but unfortunately I had the wrong bloody microphone selected so it recorded the sound quality was terrible because it was just recording it through the built-in mic on the laptop so anyway I I listened back to it and it drove me up the wall the sound quality was so poor so I've decided to re-record it selecting the correct microphone which is this one so, uh, right, silver bullet data. That was the one I was looking at when I was so rudely interrupted by my laptop crashing. This is SBDS, silver bullet data services, 29 million market cap. Now, um, this is Tuesday, the 27th of February's small cap value report on Stockpedia, uh, where I put silver bullet data services in my mid morning movers section because it rose 13% to £1.80 on uh, news of an extended contract for $2.3 million with Mars, Mars Petcare. Anyway, it then put out a trading update, which was, let's see, on Thursday the 29th of February, which I didn't actually cover in the small cap value reports, but I've been having a look at it now, and the price ended the week down at £1.65. I think it's very interesting, Silver Bullet Data Services. It does, uh, it's got all the buzzwords in. It does AI, big data... Um, consulting um, analysis or whatever it is. Um, It's still loss-making, though, but the revenue is growing very strongly. It said that 2023's calendar revenue grew by 42% and that the EBITDA loss is shrinking. I wish they wouldn't quote EBITDA. It's not reality. And I've looked at the... um, I've actually done a bit more digging uh, this morning on its interim results which were announced on the 28th of September 2023, and it uh, it made a 1.2 million EBITDA loss for the six months, um, and a loss before tax of 1.8 million. Funnily enough, I mean, the capitalised R&D has actually dropped quite a lot. It dropped. It was previously capitalising about a million a year. That's come right down. So I don't know why they're quoting EBITDA when it, the gap between that and profit, loss before tax should be narrowing. My main reservations on it are a weak balance sheet. It's done a very small placing recently, but it needs proper funding. It's not properly funded at the moment. And whether it can grow fast enough to uh, prevent the need for more dilution from raising cash. My other slight reservation with Silver Bullet Data Services is that it's really a people business providing expertise on um, data, uh, analysing data and producing, uh, which is obviously very topical, producing recommendations for the clients. It's got very impressive clients, but there must be any number of other um, small businesses doing customer experience and AI, data analysis, big data, all these buzzwords. There must be so many other agencies and businesses doing that. So what is different about Silver Bullet Data Services? And have they locked in the key people? Could those people just leave and start up their own consultancy and poach the clients? I don't know. I think I'd need more certainty that these... Um, that A, it can actually reach profitability, and B, that it's got some sort of sustainable competitive advantage. I think that, I I, I don't know whether it has or hasn't, but I do think it looks interesting, Um, but I don't think it's one I'll chase up uh, by getting involved in it myself.
Other movers on the 27th of February were uh, Optibiotics, which was up 11% to 25p. One of these great long, long rambling strategic and commercial updates that I feel they ju- it's just more of the same from this serial disappointer. It cherry picks a few key percentages and, you know, sounds terribly positive at, at everything, but it's got a multi-year track record of losses uh, it hasn't significantly commercialised anything in terms of uh, decent revenues, let alone profits. It makes losses every year, Optibiotics does. The only time it's made a profit is when it's spun off um, another similar type of company, Skin Biotherapeutics, and then um, sold off some shares in that, which booked profits. But there's never been any trading profits from either company. I think they're hopeless, based on a long track record of just not really achieving anything in terms of commercial success. So um, I've got a very low opinion of Optibiotics and Skin Biotherapeutics. Just jam tomorrow, jam tomorrow, waffly trading updates that don't really give you a, a, reali- a picture of reality. I'll happily change my mind if and when they achieve some commercial success. But um, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for that. On the Beach, OTB reported a partnership with Ryanair, which is quite interesting. Uh, the market liked that. The shares went up 13% to £1.59. I quite like uh, On The Beach OTB. Um, um, we're, we're already green on it. And we did spot the share when it was about 95p and flagged it up to the readers when uh, the original founder spent about £2.5 million pounds buying shares. So that was a rip-roaring bull signal that I think some of the readers picked up on as well, either at the same time as us flagging it or from reading the Small Cap Value Report when that um, when that big director buy was was announced, anyway, it seems to have settled its litigation with Ryanair and now uh, entered into a partnership with Ryanair. So you can book your on the beach package holiday and have Ryanair flights as part of it with transparent pricing. I think that sounds quite good. So yeah, I like on the beach. Now, text uh, sorry, tortilla Mexican grill. The ticket is MEX. This is my second largest personal uh, holding. I think it's very interesting, very cheap. 17 million market cap at 44 pence. Now, what's interesting... Now, the company has disappointed since it's floated, and the shares uh, have, have just been on a continuous downtrend, as I think stale bulls were selling them. Um, <clears throat> but the interesting thing is, and one of the readers flagged this as well in the, in the reader comments, we had a big spike in volume, and it looks like uh, the selling overhang has been cleared. And we've only had some of the R- uh, holding in company RNSs so far, but two of the buyers who have who've been RNSed are quite interesting. One is Luke Johnson, of course, of Pizza Express fame, and then uh, obviously he's got a bit of a... Um, you know, a bit of a patchy track record, hasn't he? Because he was uh, the biggest shareholder and chairman of, of, of a giant fraud, as it turned out. Um, <coughs> a patisserie Valerie, which seemed to go on under his nose <coughs> um, without him noticing. Which, uh, you know, there we go. So people have got different... The readers were posting different views of him. Um, but he's certainly a massive sector expert in hospitality. So the fact that he's bought 3.6% of Tortilla, I think, is interesting. Matthew Peacock um, at uh, Hanover Investors, who's very shrewd, he also turned up within a large stake, just, just over 3%. And we don't yet know who the seller is, but it's going to probably be either uh, the uh, original private equity 
holder who still has something like 20%, or it could be Canaccord, who are the only two shareholders who had enough shares to feed that volume. So it looks like a selling overhang has been cleared at Tortilla. Um, it did warn in profits, mild profit warning late last year. Uh, the forecasts were trimmed slightly. It's it's currently trading, underlying trading just above break-even. It's got about 70 or 80 um, Mexican-themed tortilla restaurants. The food's fantastic, I think. It's great value for money. It's very filling. I love it. Every time I'm in Bournemouth, it's my go-to place where I want something tasty and filling and reasonably priced. Um, <clears throat> and recently, the CEO... Uh, over 10 years resigned or announced his retirement or resignation and the CFO who was kind of waiting in the wings he was the CFO Andy Naylor was who I've met he's a good guy he um, moved took on additional responsibilities of I think uh, chief operations officer as well as CFO so it looked like he was kind of being lined up to take over and he's now taken over as CEO I'd like to know more details about the circumstances of that did he push the CEO out or did the CEO of 10 years just decide he wanted to move on and do something else I don't know so we'll have to wait and see so anyway um the, the the issue obviously is it's only training at break even. That's because they've had, as with most hospitality operators, big cost increases with energy, food, and wages all soaring, it, which has killed the whole sector. But my theory is that this is now probably bottom of the cycle earnings, and you're now going to have one final big well, not necessarily final, but there's one large cost increase coming through in April. Well, I was in my local tortilla yesterday, and I said, oh, have the prices gone up? And she said, no, not yet, but they're going up in April. So that's interesting, isn't it? So they're putting their prices up to compensate for the big hike in national living wage in April. It's already achieving positive like-for-like sales. And they've also already told us, uh, tortilla have, that the EBITDA margins are going to be increasing in the next half year because they've locked in, I think, to some cheaper utilities prices and cheaper food prices. So I think, I mean, it's all in the execution, isn't it? But I think for 17 million market cap, you're getting something incredibly cheap, I did, potentially, if they're able to start rebuilding the margins. And I did mention that the... Uh, the valuation of these Mexican-themed fast food chains in America is absolutely in the stratosphere. It's something like five times revenues. Now, I wasn't suggesting that we should value tortilla on the same basis, because if we did, that would be about 20 times the current share price. Of course I'm not suggesting that. That would be ridiculous. What I am suggesting is that tortilla, I think, is now in play, uh, with shrewd investors having bought into it, and I suspect it'll probably get a bid approach um, and, you know, one of those overseas chains could just buy Tortilla for loose change. And, of course, it then bolts on 60, 70, 80 million pounds, so $100 million extra revenue, which then, you know, flatters the growth figures of the acquirer, of course, and gives them an instant large uh, increase in valuation on the business they've just... Uh, it's a quick, you know, to build up a chain of 80 stores takes a while and costs a lot of money. So snapping up Tortilla for 17 million plus a, plus a bid premium, um, I, I think it's uh, highly likely to receive a bid approach or, or several. That's why one of the reasons I'm in it. Um, but I'm happy to wait two years for it to naturally re-rate if, if management execute well. It's also a successful franchise operation through SSP that do a lot of the railway station um, type food. They're in, in, incre- increasing new stores. Tortilla has spent its cash pile on store openings, but that's what it raised the cash to do. So um, 
There might be some dilution at some point to do the next wave of store openings. Um, who knows? But I mean, I'm, I, I think it's very unlikely they'll raise cash at the current level. So anyway, I think tortilla, it is, as I say, a personal holding of mine. So bear that in mind. But I think it looks interesting. Sondrell Holdings, SND, is hanging by a thread. It didn't manage to make its February payroll in full. Um, you know, this thing could go bust imminently. So it's super, super high risk. But it's announced contract wins and that it's got a 0.9 million pound bridging loan, convertible loan note is in in negotiations and I think they said um, that was about to be announced imminently but I can't think of a situation where I've seen a company so close to insolvency um, arguably already insolvent if you can't meet your payroll I'm staggered that the the, the shares are where they are but it looks like people are punting on it on survival here but it's absolutely binary Uh, Sondrell is far too risky for me good luck to holders I hope it works out and good luck to the employees you know you don't want it to go bust but the question is will somebody just buy it in a pre-pack administration and ditch all the liabilities you see that's the thing isn't it which could kill off existing equity I don't know we'll have to wait and see what happens now the main sections we looked at on Tuesday 27th of February were ITACONICS ITX an inline trading update uh this is quite interesting, actually. I listened to a 15-minute webinar from management yesterday. Uh, it's eco um, products for cleaning products and various other uh, irons in the fire for new innovative uh, formulations of chemicals it wants to roll out. It is still loss-making, but Itaconics has got very impressive revenue growth from a low base, admittedly. Uh, 17 million market cap, but about nearly half of that is its own net cash. It did a big fundraise last year. And the, ca- the cash burn looks moderate, but it wants to use the cash to develop a new artificial leather product and um, some artificial eco paints. The only thing I would say is it's very, very difficult to create totally new products like that and actually get out and sell them. It nearly always takes much longer and costs much more to commercialise innovative products. But I have to say, I think with Itaconics, there might be something interesting there. So... Um, I think it's worth a closer look for people who can tolerate loss-making but rapid-growth-type companies. Um, I'm neutral on it for the time being, Amber, but uh, there might be something interesting there. Now, I liked McBride's uh, H1 results, MCB. This is the supermarket-owned label uh, personal and cleaning products manufacturer. Big revenue, hardly a yeah, tiny wafer-thin margins historically, but stunning turnaround um, this year and last year. Well done to people who spotted it there. Um, still got masses of debt, but I don't think the debt is an emergency anymore, as I've said before. We've, we, you know, as the facts have improved with McBride, we've upped our our opinion on it, because we don't form emotional views on things. We just report on the day's uh, f- uh, trading updates and account statements and then our view will alter depending on how the news alters so we're not claiming any predictive uh, powers we just uh, we just give a view uh, on, on a snapshot on each day and I've moved up to Amber Green on McBride I think I might have been Amber Green last time actually uh, because these were ahead of expectations the H1 results and they've raised forecasts a number of times absolutely uh, doing brilliantly I think and they've there's a decent amount of debt reduction as well reported in these numbers um, but it's still massively overgeared and you've got to take that into account um, but I think I think it could be worth a pound a share. It was 74p when I reported on it, um, and that would only be a p of five. But the debt is similar to the market cap, so you know it, that effectively takes it to a 
you know, an, uh, a cash neutral PE of about 10. And sooner or later, I think the supermarkets will squeeze those margins back down again, because that's what they've done historically. So I don't think Milbride is a particularly good business, but it's pulled off a stunning recovery in the last year. So well done to them and very well done to people who, who made money on the shares. You know, they spotted a, a good uh, opportunity there. What else do we look at? Victorian plumbing, Graham looked at. We're both amber on that. We don't think it's particularly exciting. VIC, we were bullish on it when it was about half the current price, but it's re-rated upwards, so we've moved from green to amber. We think it's priced about right. Another little success here for the small cap value reports was Synectics, SNX, the CCTV company that historically has focused on the oil and gas industry. I flagged this at around ten, I think it was, a little while, a few months ago, uh, with a very, very bullish um, view from me on it, just saying, look, this thing's far too cheap. Anyway, it's gone up um, 60 70% since then, so I hope some of the readers may have made a bob or two on that. Graham very kindly gave me a hat tip back to my um, bullish note on it a few months ago. He reviewed the final results, and he's still green on it. He thinks, despite the share price going up a lot... Um, uh, it's 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 beaten forecast, and um, we think the valuation is still pretty reasonable on Synectic. So have a look on that one. Although obviously, when things go up sixty seventy percent in uncertain markets like we've got at the moment, um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, just getting my slippers. My feet are cold. Um, the uh, the you know you get people banking profits, don't you? Um, right now, we're seeing that right across the board in lots of shares that have a nice big surge. You know, immediately. Uh, uh, profit takers kick in, and you can't blame them really, can you? When the market's still quite quite bearish overall, brickability we like. I looked at the uh, trading update from that. It was actually a profit warning, unfortunately, but it only dropped twelve percent to sixty seven p, and it's still strongly up from the low uh, last autumn. Now, yes, it was a profit warning. Um, they already forecast that brick demand was going to be down quite substantially, but it's turned out the brick demand has fallen short even of their reduced forecast, because obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, everyone's aware that brick deliveries are down. You know, one of the readers looks it up when it's reported each month, the industry data. So it was never a question that demand for bricks would go down. We knew that. Everybody did. The company knew it. It's just it's more than expected. So I obviously had to flag that as black for, as a profit warning. But the profits were not reduced, the forecasts were not reduced that much, you know. And it's also been making good acquisitions. I think medium-term brickability should be fine. I think it's quite an impressive business, actually. So I'm amber green on it, despite the profit warning. And then quick comments. We look. I look briefly at Proton Motor Power Systems PPS. This is a £48 million um, business selling a few hydrogen fuel cells. Uh, oh, this is the one. With the abs- I've called it an utterly bonkers balance sheet. It's got debt. It's only £2.1 million revenues for 2023 calendar year. £2.1 million is nothing. And it, it made a £6.1 million operating loss in the first half. So it's absolutely hemorrhaging losses and cash. And it's got borrowings of £109 million on the balance sheet. So it seems to be bankrolled by a very wealthy founder. Who's per- and the two major shareholders at Proton Motor Power Systems own 82%. So it's one of these weird things. A bit like Carland & Wolfe, where you know the equity... Uh, could easily be worth nothing. It's just a kind of an equity stub for a massively over-indebted business. So anyway, I'm just putting that in the system to warn people that anything could happen with Proton Motor Power Systems.
Oh, I should say as well, I updated my spreadsheet yesterday on Saturday and um, we've now covered... If you haven't looked at my spreadsheets, you must look at them. It's a brilliant quick reference tool, even if I say so myself. I use it every day to quickly do a control F, put the ticker in, and it shows you... Uh, it's got over a year's worth of data now uh, from the small cap value reports of Graham and my traffic light system that I invented um, in late 2022... I religiously update this every weekend. It's, you know, it's best part of two, three, four hours work. I'm not paid to do it. I do it because I enjoy it. And I think it's a useful thing to put it. Same with the podcast. So I don't get paid for them. And I'm not going to insult you by uh, putting adverts in them either. Because your, ter- your time is worth more than me getting half a penny for making you endure some brainless, mindless advert in something you're not interested in. <laughs> So anyway, uh, what was I saying about my spreadsheet? Yeah, the link to the spreadsheet, uh, please don't share them on Twitter or anything, because it's really intended to be for Stockopedia readers. But, you know, once the link's out there, anyone can look at it. And, um, you know, you may not find it interesting. But anyway, the links to my spreadsheets are all in the um, explanatory notes that are at the start of every small cap value report that I publish every weekday on Stockopedia. And... um, you know, um, I updated it yesterday anyway, and it turns out Graham and I, between us, in the first two months of the year, we've, we've reported on 257 unique companies, some of them several times. 257, just in January and February. It's brilliant, isn't it? We're, we've massively broadened the coverage. <clears throat> We're going well up now into mid-cap space. I was really surprised, actually. I looked this morning at the uh, browse section on Stockopedia for the indices, clicked on the, the mid-cap index, uh, the FTSE 250, and the, do you know the market caps on that started about 450 million, which is nothing, really, is it? I don't think of those as, as mid-caps. I always thought anything up to about a billion was, was small-cap, really. So anyway, we're covering now, <clears throat> in the small-cap value reports, a lot of shares up to sort of three, four, five billion market cap. So... <coughs> Excuse me. I think we're covering <clears throat> a very large section of the UK market now. We don't normally cover things below 10 million, but actually, with with me now including this mid-morning movers section in each report each day, we're now covering um, stuff down to three or four million market cap. If something interesting happens and the price moves a lot, so massive increases in our coverage. Um, obviously, it means that my head's absolutely spinning by about. 11 or 12 o'clock every morning because I've looked at so many blooming companies. We looked at 48 companies last week alone. So, um, yeah, so do have a look at my spreadsheet. Anyway, why did I mention the spreadsheet? Oh, yes, I started doing some work on looking at whether uh, the traffic light system that Graham and I use for my spreadsheet... Um, you know, we, you know, it's separate for obviously from the Stockopedia traffic light systems, but we intend it to be kind of the two to be used in conjunction. So you've got Stockopedia stock ranks and stock styles, which are color coded. So the idea is people look at the, do some screening, find a short list of shares you want to look at. Then you can look at the stock reports to get the gist of each individual share. Then you click through to the small cap value reports for more nuance, more detail on the numbers. For example, we'll point out if the, all the net debt is leaseholds, which uh, is confusing a lot of people at the moment. You know, I had some comments on Halfords from readers thinking it was massively in debt and the interest charges would be would would engulf the company. They're completely wrong. If you as I reported in the report in the small cap value report, the debt is nearly all lease debt. It's so it's not real debt. It's future operating costs. But IFRS 16 has absolutely buggered up. 
um, <clears throat> net debt and cash flow figures. Uh, everybody hates it, and it was a terrible, terrible accounting standard. So that's where the small cap value report. You know, we drill into things like that, and and so I think you you know the the, the research process is to use all these tools that we give you. You know, the stock ranks, the stock reports and the small cap value reports, use all three in conjunction, then of course go off and do your more detailed research, because you've got to, you know, you've got to look in much more detail than we go into because we can't, you know, we can't cover all the detail on over 600 companies, can we? Just two of us. Anyway, what was I going on about? Oh yes, I've started looking at measuring whether my greens and reds in particular on the small cap value reports uh, you know, the performance of how that's actually uh, compared to reality over the last year and as you can already see from my top 20 lists that I did in 1st of January 2023 and the same in 2024, those have very significantly outperformed the market. Year to date in 2024, in just two months, both Graham's list and my list are 10% ahead of AIM, which is down 3%. We're up 7%. Now, two months is far too short a period. So how did my 2023 picks do? They're massively up. They're 33% ahead of AIM. So it just shows. And they're the, the best of the best, if you like, in, in terms of the small cap value reports. It's the, the green uh, shares that I've picked the best of my top 20 green shares for the year. So we know that the greens do outperform. Obviously, they won't individually. There'll be some that are, you know, the facts will change and the company will do badly. So we're not saying none of these things will ever be a guaranteed way to, to pick the winners. But on balance, it looks like the greens, you know, we, we get more right than wrong, which is good. But the really interesting section is the reds on the small cap value reports. I've only looked at two months data from the very when we first started it, and it's absolutely staggering how many of the items that we've marked red have absolutely collapsed in share price. Um, not all of them, you know, often when you get something high risk, they can turn it round, strengthen their balance sheet, and the shares can then rock it. So you do get the odd multi-bagger even though we've marked it red, because something changes to the better and it's bombed out and it recovers. But the vast majority of them have absolutely crapped out. Several of them, these are the shares we marked red in December, January, sorry, January uh, 2023. Quite a few of them have gone bust and several have been have dropped more than 80 percent and uh, only one or two have recovered. So I think that uh, it's only a smallish sample, one, uh, one about six weeks. But I'm going to write an article about this when I've got time. If we mark something red on the Small Cap Valley Report, that is uh, a, a proven way that it's flagging up a lot of really, really bad shares that you need to avoid, I would say. And the, and the, and the track record of our system proves that that's the case. But... It's never going to be uh, correct for every share, of course. But uh, the, the, all, the, all the just from an initial review that I've done, our traffic light system seems to be producing excellent results um, over about a year. So I'm very, very pleased with that. Right, we've got to move on, haven't we? Right, sorry, that was a bit rambling. Wednesday, 28th of February, 2024. Uh, I'll quickly run through the main movers, the percentage movers. Animal Care. ANCR rose 16% on a big disposal for cash that leaves it with a nice cash pile. I did a, a, a quick review on Animal Care's previous results and updates, and I think this looks quite good, actually. I've never really um, focused on this company before, so I think Animal Care looks interesting. So have a look at that one. It's got some shrewd shareholders. Um, for example, Harwood are on there, and there's an, a, a Belgian guy called Mark Cook. Um, 
who's a pharmaceutical expert. I did some Googling on him, and he owns owns 25% of Animal Care, 134 million market cap. Worth a closer look. I've I've only done a quick review review of it, so you need to do your own research. We're never recommending. Remember, we're just throwing ideas at you. I had a quick look at Ensilica, E-N-S-I, that one announced a $20 million supply contract and rose 11%. Um, <clears throat> it's actually quite a material contract. Um, Ensilica, I think it looks quite interesting. We have um, reviewed it twice this week. Um, but I've summed it up by saying it's got a, an exciting pipeline and commentary, but it's got a weak balance sheet and it needs more cash. And it did do uh, a, a cheeky placing when the shares went up 20%. And I think it needs to raise more. So you've got to weigh up um, the dilution and the need for discounted placings with the fact that it's in a sexy sector, chip design, I think it is. Um, I've said here the share price could go anywhere. You know, it's uh, uh, quite interesting. Sondrella, we've already spoken about. That uh, the news on that's been getting worse and worse. Taylor Wimpy, I had a quick look at, despite it being 4.8 billion market cap. I looked at its 2023 results, which were in line, but I was more interested in the outlook comments. And anyway, I've summarised that in Wednesday's report. Uh, it's just confirming that basically the housing market's bottomed out. All the house builders are now saying they see early signs of recovery, so that's good. Direct line insurance, DLG, a two and a half billion market cap. That um, received a takeover approach, which it's rejected from a Belgian uh, insurer. Um, so, yes, that was one of these part cash, part shares offer, which I think are a bit weak. Um, they're not very good part paper offers because it creates, you know, more or less a guaranteed overhang. So anyway, looks like Direct Line could be now in play. Yet another UK mid-cap receiving approaches from abroad, of course. Graham looked at the uh, bombshell from St. James's Place, a £2.5 billion market cap financial company, which put out a... Um, dropped about 26% at one point. I think they've recovered slightly. Uh... Mass, a very, very large provision of $426 million for claims uh, from clients on inadequate um, regulatory servicing of them or something. Apparently, uh, these no-win-no-feelers lawyers have latched onto this as well, Graham pointed out. It certainly made me think, you know, after Close Brothers as well, I think f- shares in the financial services companies are really... Um, I'm not sure I'd want to go near many of them, given the risk of these sort of mass legal actions against them that are now cropping up. Anyway, moving on to the main sections on Wednesday, 28th of February. Uh, Bombshell of the week was Halford's HFD. Now, I'm sorry about this one. I I thought this was good value. Well, I I still think it's good value, actually. But it dropped about uh, between 20 and 30% on a profit warning. It wasn't a particularly bad profit warning. Um, they just reduced the profit before tax guidance. It was previously in a range of 48 to 53 million. They've reduced it to 35 to 40 million. I don't see that as a disaster at all. They blamed uh, the weak consumer confidence, bad weather, which, you know, fair enough. It's been tipping it down with rain for most of this year so far. So people are not going to go out and buy a bike. The other thing is bikes are obviously in a, in, in a massive downturn. A lot of the readers... Um, posted comments on that, including we've got a a sector expert uh, who posts very interesting stuff on that, Planet X. Thank you for that. Always interesting. Uh, Massive, massive glut of supply of bikes, and Planet X explained the reasons for that. 
But the way I look at it, I see the glass half full with Halfords. For a start, it's not just cycling or retail anyway. It's expanded into auto centres. And I think the fact that it's remained profitable just about, despite all these headwinds, I think is actually quite impressive. So I think in a consumer upturn, a bit like with Curry's, there's a striking parallel with Curry's in that, you know, despite the consumer downturn, and all the supply chain problems, they've still managed to remain profitable. I think, you know, in a consumer upturn, I could see Halford's profits rebounding very nicely, maybe. So, yeah, for me, Halford's uh, it just got a lot cheaper. I'm more inclined to buy now, actually, than, um, than not. So I'm amber green on Halford's. I don't hold a position personally. I think it's a sitting duck for a takeover. And if it's not, um, it should see a consumer recovery. You've got to remember with bikes as well, they're long-life assets. So, of course, we had this cycling boom during the lockdowns and the pandemic. So, of course, those people have now got bikes. They won't need to buy any new ones for a few years, will they? So that reinforces my view. This is probably bottom of the cycle earnings uh, with good upside for Halfords. Graham looked at AB Dynamics, ABDP. Uh, inline trading update. We both think it's it's just too expensive. Nice business. We can't understand why it's on thirty times earnings. You know, investors must think that um, it's gonna it's gonna beat forecasts. But since we don't know whether it will or won't, we're just questioning um, the valuation. So we put that one on amber. Graham looked at Aston Martin Lagonda AML, and he's read on it. I don't blame him. Terrible balance sheet. It's always running out of cash expensive debt but he, Graham didn't mention this but I feel the brand value at Aston Martin Lagonda is potentially massive and this is why you know deep pocketed investors keep putting money into it but it, the capital structure is far too precarious and it's just you know it, it financially has a terrible track record over decades you know it's gone bust numerous times historically uh, lovely cars though I had one once uh, DB7 um, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's Aston Martin Lagonda Kitwave. I had a look at the readers badgered me to look at this, and I'm glad they did. I think it's very good. Uh, nice uh, growth at reasonable price share. It's a wholesaler of um, foods and drinks to um, corner shops and things like that. Anyway, the results are about in, in line. It's making good bolt on acquisitions repeatedly. I think the founder's retiring on a PE of about 10. Good numbers. I think it's a good, a decent GARP share. So, yeah, I like I like Kitwave. On to Thursday. This was the leap year day, Thursday, 29th of February. Uh, we Again, we looked at absolutely loads of companies. The movers for the day. Wynn Canton, fantastic news for shareholders here. Uh, a new cash bid from GXO, which I've uh, reported on in the report there are listed US logistic, logistics company, and I give my thoughts on that. They've blown the French SIVA uh, logistics, they've blown them out of the water with a new cash bid at £6.5p, which I think is a fair price, and I've run through the numbers um, and explain why um, I think they're able to offer such a premium with uh, anticipated synergies. It's quite interesting, the announcement from GXO. Management have switched sides and are now inevitably back to the GXO bid because it's such a uh, uh, such a powerful offer so really well done to shareholders who caught that it was on my 2023 top 20 list when canton was so it's given those numbers a nice boost and just shows it warned on profits in march 2023 uh we said at the time we think we should we, the best thing is to ride out this profit warning because it was on the loss of one contract and it just goes to show doesn't it sometimes 
if it's a, I think if it's a good uh, company and they've warned on profits because of a one-off, some sort of one-off factor, then often actually just riding out the profit warning or even buying more can be the right thing to do. Although in other situations, you know, profit warnings sell at the first sign of trouble is also often the best thing to do. So all these slogans in the stock market are sometimes true and sometimes not true. <laughs> now, I looked at Renaltics, R-E-N-X. This was hopeless. Um, really terrible. 33 million market cap, but it's spiking up on positive RNSs. But it's bust. If you look at the numbers, which I did briefly, it only had a, a massive cash-burning company, only had a scrap of cash remaining in December 2023. So it's a substantial doubt, quote-unquote, overgoing concern with the um, interims that were issued on 15th of February. So be really careful on that. It urgently needs a large fundraise, Renaltics does. And I worry that uh, the small shareholders who are buying uh, on, on price spikes, on positive-sounding RNSs, it got FDA approval for its kidney testing. Great news, but if a company's bust and urgently needs to raise money... Um, you know, they'll just use the spike up in share price to do a discounted placing, won't they? Harwood owned 10%, which surprises me. Um, often, you know, they, uh, they don't take any prisoners when they refinance something that's on its knees. So just be careful with that one. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just flagging up the super high risk at Renaltics. Howden's Joinery, 4.6 billion market cap. I had a quick look at it because the shares were up strongly, up 8%. It was in line results for calendar 2023. Nice, well, nice margins on it, but profit before tax was down 19%. The, they obviously supply the you know joinery products and flat pack kitchens and and whatever nice business nice quality business the the outlook was encouraging um, um encouraging start to twenty twenty four confident overall strong balance sheet and it talks about returning surplus cash I think it's fully priced uh, uh, p of sixteen you know it's yes it's howdens is a quality business but I think there are much much better bargains in the small and mid-cap building supplies sector where you can get things far cheaper than that but not not as high quality I, I accept another interesting mid-cap i looked at was drax drx the power generation business um 1.75 billion market cap i only had a quick look because it was up nine percent so it was in the top movers uh huge increase in profitability for calendar 2023 Outlook for 2024 in line, increased dividends. Now, the stock report figures are remarkable for Drax. They show a PE of only 3.8 times and a 6.1% yield. Um, But I do flag here, obviously, you know, there's a reason things are on a 3.8 PE. It's because it's a complicated business. Energy markets are regulated. And and obviously the market doesn't think these huge profits are sustainable long term. But, you know, it looks so cheap on the headline numbers. That's all I'm flagging to you. Have a look at it and um, see what you think. Also, there were negative recent press reports that it was burning the wrong type of wood. So it's a special situation, I think, Drax. But I'm just flagging the fact that superficially it looks dirty cheap. Uh, Avacta upset everyone, dropped 31% with a discounted placing at 50p to raise 25 million. That's an 18% increase in the share count and the company says it gives it two years cash runway to develop a cancer treatment. And then Hemogenics Pharmaceuticals, another microcap, dropped 20 percent uh, on, a, on, a, on a small fundraise. I've got a pretty dim view of that. And yet another one, Polarian Imaging, P-O-L-X, which I got horribly wrong a couple of years ago, um, dropped 
So I lost a, a bit of money on that. Drop 17% to 4.25p on a strategy up, update saying it's, you know, de- desperate to raise more cash. But it looks like it's got uh, $7.6 million lined up amongst three named investors. But it hasn't told us what the terms are. So it's anybody's guess what the dilution could be. Why would they Why would they be kind to small investors? So you're, you're potentially lambs to the slaughter there, I think. We'll have to see what happens with that one. Uh, I liked the results from Hunting, HTG, uh, £545 million market cap. It was up 10% on what I thought were very good results for calendar 2023. So have a look at that. Stunningly strong balance sheet at Hunting as well. So again, I only did a quick review of that one. So um, I haven't... Um, I, have, I don't want to sort of say that I've got a fully informed view on it, but adjusted PBT rose from $10 million to $50 million, And it's got this incredible balance sheet hunting has. So have a look at that one. I think it could be interesting. And then finally, Zoo Digital was on the top movers, down 10%. It's only, only 23p. Oh, this has been a disaster. Um, so I give my thoughts on that. And then I wrote a section on fundraisings generally. Uh, so see Thursday's report on that. Really, you know, you'll know all this stuff, but it's really to just uh, constantly remind people that if you're buying into Jam Tomorrow loss-making companies that haven't got enough cash, you're going to get diluted and clobbered by discounted placings. And, we, you know, I reported on loads of them just on Thursday alone. So that was a reminder. The main sections on Thursday, we looked at facilities by ADF. That dropped 11% to 47p on a profit warning that Graham looked at. But obviously we hope it's now over the worst of the... Uh, this provides the trailers for outside broadcasting, um, uh, you know, makeup. Uh, sh- uh, trailers and 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 Winnebago's or whatever. Uh, we 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 actually like the business. It's it's uh, Graham's green on the fundamentals, but he's marked it black because obviously it is a profit warning. Hopefully, it might improve. Business might pick up um, as the Hollywood strikes will you know have been resolved and so on. Um, McFarlane, I look at, I really like that one, so I'm green on that. That's packaging distributed, very reasonably priced. So have a look at Thursday's report for my thoughts on that. And Graham looked at our Irish house builder, Cairn Holmes, CRN, that he's positive on. So that was Thursday. I'm not going to pass any more comments on the reader on the reader comments because I just get into, uh, I just get myself worked up. So you know, some of the, most of the reader comments are good. That's the main thing. Um, now, on Friday, 1st of March, 2024, I covered, I write Friday's reports on my own, as you know. The movers were, interesting announcement from ITV, 2.6 billion market cap, sells its 50% stake in the Britbox International Service to the its JV partner, which is BBC, BBC Studios. After cost and, and adjustments, it's net proceeds of 235 million. So that's 9% of ITV's market cap. And it says it's going to return the whole lot to shareholders through a buyback. So I thought that was really interesting. We had a good discussion on ITV in the reader comments. The headline numbers on the stock report are a PE of 6.8 times and an 8% yield. And now a 9% of the company's share buyback. Striking numbers, aren't they? But I dug a bit deeper and found it's got a cash-hungry balance sheet, uh, a cash-hungry pension deficit. So don't ignore that. But I think, And it's been in an eight-year downtrend on the chart. But several of the readers were saying... Look, it's so cheap now. We think ITV is worth a punt, worth a trade. That's up to you to decide, obviously. I'm just flagging up, um, you know, those attractive numbers. A real tiny nano cap called Orchard Funding, O-R-C-H, 
4 million market cap, but quite an interesting series of updates. Put a profit warning out on 2nd of February uh, that it's losing about 20% of its business through, through insurance companies withdrawing gap insurance. Now, Waltrip Funding does specialist lending to um, uh, lawyers and accountants and various others. So short lending short-term to businesses that need urgent liquidity, and then it borrows from bigger banks at a lower interest rate. But it's just been hit by a half million pound fraud. So that is obviously massively dented confidence. And it's controlled by a CEO who holds 54%. So I think really, given the shares have performed so badly and it's now only 4 million market gap, the delisting risk at Orchard funding is too high for me. But historically, it's been profitable and paid dividends. So I think for special situations, investors who really know what you're doing... Um, Orchard could be worth a closer look. Now, on backlog backlog comments, I mentioned advance oncotherapy. Now, shares are still suspended on this, AVO. I think it's very unlikely to come back from suspension, but I could be wrong. Um, It it says it's got negligible, quote, cash, and, quote, significant debt. It's discussing a short-term bridging loan, but the RNS basically says insolvency is looming if they can't fairly quickly agree some sort of bailout financing. I can't see why anybody would bail it out. You know, with highly indebted companies, it's just cleaner and cheaper to buy it off the administrator in a pre-pack administration. So sadly, it's looking to me very likely that AVO shares will probably be uh, a zero and not come back from suspension. But I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying that's to me is the balance of probabilities. It may not happen. Now, I had a look at ITIM. I've mentioned that twice this week. Uh, £10 million um, float of a small software business for the retail and e-tailing e-commerce sector. This was the one that announced a £5 million contract win with Quiz. Uh, It's spread over a number of years. Was it £5 million? I think it was. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, it put out an ahead of expectations trading update for calendar 2023, but it is still loss-making and cash-burning. Um, so be a bit careful on that and it does capitalise 2 million a year costs development costs so EBITDA is meaningless but I think there might be something interesting there so I've said here I'm intrigued with ITIM Uh, potentially interesting I think but I think it does need another fundraise and it's founder, owner managed with a small free float so it won't appeal to most people now, the main sections on Friday, I only looked at two companies, E-Energy, E-A-A-S. Now, this, I've been previously negative on it, but it rose 27% on a trading update and a deal with NatWest to, to, to provide funding for public sector green energy projects. Uh, I don't have enough information to, form, to give an informed view on this, but I, look, I have been negative on it in the past, but because they've disposed of the bit of the business that I didn't actually like. The core business was an energy consultancy with a huge receivables book. They've sold that. So it's now actually much more interesting. Um, it cleared all the debt, obviously. It's got cash. And it's um, got this deal with NatWest. All I'm saying to you there is have a look at it. I don't know enough about it to have a strong view either way. My hunch is actually moderately, tentatively, slightly positive 
on EAAS. We happily change our mind on anything and everything when the facts change. And they've addressed my concerns over the balance sheet by disposing of the part of the business I didn't like. So when the facts change, I change my mind. There might be something there, e-energy, but do you know you need to do your own research on it? FD Technologies dropped twenty-eight percent to nine five five p. This was a very confusing update. I spent ages going through it trying to unpick it all, and uh, but I just I just don't like the business. I looked through the, the last eighteen months' accounts. I don't think FDP makes any actual money because it capitalizes so much development spend. It's it's a collection of three IT businesses, none of which actually look any good to me. But I'm a value GARP investor, so tech investors look at things very, very differently. And anyway, much to my amazement, the uh, the shares recovered about two-thirds of that 30-odd percent loss on the day. So look, other people obviously see something interesting there with FTP. I don't, I'm afraid, and the shares have been in a long multi-year downtrend. I don't think it's a very good business at all, actually, based on the numbers that they've published. Uh, But as I say, um, other people, I'm not a tech investor, so, you know, other people will will view it differently. Right, I'll leave it there. And sorry if people are listening to this twice, but I'm really sorry about the the first version of part two for this podcast. The sound quality was terrible and it was infuriating to listen to. Sort of, um, I I walked into town, uh, into Bournemouth yesterday, listening back to it. I thought, I can't leave this out there. It's just horrendous sound quality. So um, that's why I've re-recorded it today. So I hope this is better. And thank you for listening. And um, as always, thanks for your support. Those vast majority of the you who are supportive towards me and um it's very very much appreciated and we're very grateful so thanks very much and uh, exciting week coming up of course with the budget on wednesday so i'll be i'll be doing some uh, quick fire bullet points on that as usual in the small cap value reports so um we'll see what the chancellor comes up with with his final pre-election bribes for the electorate <laughs> uh, doesn't sound like he's got a lot of uh, room for maneuver though Uh, And, of course, it all gets leaked in the days beforehand anyway, doesn't it? (laughs) So there we go. Interesting, exciting week coming up. So bye for now. Bye.